10, I want to uh, remind you about Wednesday nights. We're having a strong turnout on Wednesday nights, and God is really blessing this series on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Pardon me? Right. My wife is, is never, I, she's my left side of the brain. But she said not this week, and, that, and that's true. But I, yeah, I do want to remind you that Tuesday nights we're going to be here for a midweek service, not Wednesday. If you come on Wednesday, God bless you. Walk around the building seven times. Pray a little bit if you want. Go home. We won't be here on Wednesday night. We'll be here Tuesday night, and we're going to have a special communion service and a Thanksgiving service. And we're going to talk a little bit about thanks living, which is part of promised land thinking. Thanks living. And so Tuesday night, but the next time, the next Wednesday night, I'm going to be talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. How many of you have ever wondered, what did they experience with the Holy Spirit? Were they saved? How were they saved? Was he on them or in them? What, what was the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Did they get convicted of sin like us? Did they feel his peace like us? What was that ministry? And that's two weeks away, 10 days away. So anyway, let's stand together and we're going to read this once again out of the Living Bible. And I want to talk today about getting Egypt out of you. Getting Egypt out of you. 1 Corinthians 10, I'm reading out of the Living Bible. For we must never forget what happened to God's people in the wilderness long ago. God guided them by sending a cloud that moved along ahead of them. And he brought them all safely through the Red Sea. All these things happened to them so that we could read about them and learn from them in these last days as the world nears its end. So listen now to Paul. We are to read about the wilderness wanderers, the people of God in the Old Testament. We're to read about them and we're to learn from them especially as the world nears its end. Isn't that interesting? That's in your Bible. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you, Lord, that you are actively involved in getting Egypt out of us. And we pray that you will help us, Lord, to renew our minds, to experience renewal in our spirits day by day, to erase old ways of thinking and replace them with new ways of thinking, God's way of thinking. Take the negative, negativity and the doubt out and replace it with faith and a positive attitude. And yes, Lord, thanks for living. We thank you for changing us and rearranging us for the glory of God. Now, will you breathe a prayer and just say, Lord, speak to me. Renew my mind. I need it in Jesus' name. Turn to your neighbor and preach a little bit and say, you need it too. I saw almost everybody turn to their spouse. <laughs> We've seen that the, uh, in the last couple of weeks that the children of Israel were people of purpose and they were purpose, uh, people of destiny, and so are you. You are not a happenstance, um, evolutionary mishap. You are a, per, a person of purpose and a person of destiny. That is, you have been destined for something in God, every one of you, not just preachers, not just teachers, not people called to what we would call the professional ministry only, 
But every one of you are priests unto God, prayers, believers who have been called, chosen, that you would show forth his praises to a world in darkness. We've noticed that the children of Israel are physical types of us. They were physical Israel. We are now spiritual Israel. Paul just told us, he said, as, you, as the world nears its end, read about them and learn from them. And that's what we've been doing in the last few weeks, learning from them. And I got to tell you, one of the things that stands out to me more than anything else about the children of Israel is God took them out of Egypt not to bring them into a death trap in the wilderness, but God brought them out of Egypt to bring them into the promised land. God never brings you out, but what he intends to bring you in. God brings you out of something so he can bring you into something. He doesn't bring you out of something to leave you standing there looking silly. God delivers you out so he can deliver you in. He took you and me, not out of Egypt, but out of the world. He delivered us out of the world that he might deliver us into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. We are involved as believers in kingdom living. We are not to be byproducts of this culture. We're not supposed to think like them, walk like them, talk like them. And when I say them, I don't mean that condescendingly. I mean people who have not received the glorious gospel of Christ and been born again. And we were all there once. The Bible says once we get saved out of the world, once we are born again, born a second time, then God wants to get the world out of us. We've been taken out of the world. You are no longer of this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The shortest distance between you and the knowledge of the will of God is the renewal of your mind. When I study these people, these people who, uh, of God who were first in Egypt, then the wilderness, then in the promised land, it's very clear to me that God took them out so he could take them in. And the wilderness was not designed to take them down. It was not God toying with people. But it was designed to change their thinking. The wilderness was designed to change their thinking. Think about this. For 400 years, they've been slaves. All they knew was answering to Pharaoh. All they knew was depending on him. God's chosen people yet living in bondage. All they knew was being subservient to a hard taskmaster. That's all they knew. And so they became accustomed to this. Many generations lived and died in Egypt. So when they finally got delivered out, they got delivered out of Egypt. But it took God a generation to get Egypt out of them. They had to be delivered from slavery thinking and put into promised land thinking. See, for God to take them into the promised land... He had to change their thinking. You and I will never reach where God wants us to go until we change our thinking. And our thinking is changed by the Word of God. I don't mean Norman Vincent Peale. I mean the Word of God. I don't mean getting good at positive thinking. I mean having your mind renewed by the Word of God. Be not conformed, molded into the image of this culture. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
so that you have not been molded by the culture, but you have been molded by the work of the Holy Ghost and the input of the Word of God. God delivered them out of Egypt, but it took a generation to get Egypt out of them. All they knew was a hard taskmaster, a hopeless future, and a helpless existence. That's all they'd known. Hard taskmaster, hopeless future, helpless existence. Hard, hopeless, helpless. The wilderness was not a death trap, and they said that it was. Here's what they said to Moses. The people spoke to Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? You know, it's so easy to misinterpret God's dealings with us. Sometimes God can deal with us in a way that we look up and say, why have you done this to me? And he's not doing anything to you. He's doing something for you. Because he brought them into the wilderness so they would learn to trust him. So they would learn instead of leaning on Pharaoh to lean on him. Instead of trusting Pharaoh, trusting him. Instead of looking to Pharaoh for their provision, looking to him. He led them by the cloud by day and the fire by night. He was changing their thinking. He was erasing and replacing everything they had known for four generations. He had to change their thinking to get them there. And he's got to change our thinking to get us there. Wherever your there is, God's got to change your thinking to get you there. The wilderness was not a death trap. It was boot camp training for promised land occupation. The wilderness was Holy Ghost Bible school offering graduate studies in promised land thinking. That's what the wilderness was. And in order to graduate, they had to pass three subjects. Are you ready? Trust, obedience, and faith. They had to pass trust, and they had to pass obedience, and they had to pass faith, 101. 201, 301. God was saying to his people, trust my care, obey my word, and believe my promise. It was that simple. Look at everything God ever did with them in that wilderness, and all he was ever trying to teach them is what he's always trying to teach us. Trust my care, obey my word, and believe my promise. It sounds so simple, but it is oh so hard to do sometimes. Trust my care, obey my word, Believe my promise. Trust that I'm going to provide for you. And yet when the bills are later, we don't quite have enough money. We're chewing our nails right along with the children of Israel. Obey my word. That sounds so simple, but how hard is it to bless those that curse you, do good for those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you? How hard is it to turn the other cheek? How hard is it to forgive? It's not easy to obey his word, but oh, does it pay off when you obey his word. And he said, believe my promise about your future. That's all he was telling them. Trust my care, obey my word, and believe my promise about your future. That's all I'm asking you to do. They knew what God had told them through the father of their faith, Abraham. They were walking under the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham had been told by God, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. They knew the promise about the offspring of Abraham. They knew they were a part of this. They knew they were attached to and part of and continuing on in the Abrahamic covenant. Through Moses, God had told them this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Wow! 
He said to former slaves, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a holy nation. You're going to be my special treasure. You're going to shine my glory into all the earth. And through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. I mean, folks, this was mind stupering. Wow, what a future. And that's what God does with you and me. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a called out people that you would show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness, out of the world, into his marvelous light. So he, do you see the parallels? He told them the same thing. He has told you and me, only now we're under the new covenant, not the old covenant. Listen to the promise of God. I'm going to make you a great nation. All families blessed. Special treasure. Kingdom of priests. Holy nation. And you can have all of that if you trust, obey, and believe. Trust, obey, and believe. Trust, obey, and believe. Just trust me and just obey me and believe what I've told you about you. But man, they could not get it. They could not get it. Instead of trusting, obeying, and believing, they squandered all of it by being self-absorbed, unbelieving, and chronically complaining. I met somebody last week whose job really is to stand at a complaint counter. And I said, I couldn't do it. I'd want to grab them and tell them to be thankful and get out of my sight. (laughs) So be thankful. You drove here, didn't you? You got a car, don't you? You got a roof over your head, don't you? Why don't you just praise God instead? I mean, I'd preach at him. I'd be fired in 15 minutes. But he listens to complaints all day. We're so good at complaining. We're not very good at thanking. But the Bible says we're to live in thanks living. These people were, God was trying to teach them to be thankful, to trust him, to obey him, and just believe him. And if they had done that, they would have traversed that wilderness. They would have crossed the Jordan, and they would have enjoyed the flow, the beauty, the promise of the promised land. But they could not get promised land thinking because promised land thinking precedes promised land behavior. You are not what you eat. You are what you think. You eat what you eat because you think what you think. There are certain things I tell Kathy, don't even go buy it. Don't put it in the refrigerator. Because if I see it, I'm going to (laughs) think. As a matter of fact, I'm going to think before I see it. I'm going to be sitting in my chair and I'm going to think. It's in the refrigerator. And I'm going to go to it. See, I I eat what I think about. You are not what you eat. You are what you think. You are what you think about between your ears. As a man thinks in his heart, the Bible says, so is he. And so the whole first generation never could catch on to promised land thinking. The second generation rose up with a different mindset. They didn't have, they didn't have a different blessing. They, didn't, they weren't favorites of God. They had a different mindset. Determined to take the land, they crossed the Jordan under Joshua and began to take the cities one by one by one by one to the glory of God. And these people who had promised land thinking were characterized by action. They took the land. Their faith made their feet 
walk. They acted. It's one thing to have a dream. It's another thing to walk towards it. It's, another, it's one thing to believe God has something for you. It's another thing to exercise your faith and step toward it. There comes a time when you've got to put feet to your faith and you've got to take action. James said, you show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by works. If you've got Bible faith, it's going to make your feet move. It's going to make your feet walk. It's going to set the direction of your life. If you have Bible faith, you're going to do something about it. Bible faith cries out to be acted upon. That's how it's strengthened. It's like going to the gym and working out when you exercise Bible faith by taking action. And they were, as we talked about last week, they were people of the bigger picture. Rather than being drowned in doubt, ruined by rebellion, and whipped by worry, they were fearless in faith, successful through obedience, and they were driven by vision, not fear and not worry. They were driven by vision. Vision made them tick. Vision made them walk. Vision is what they lived for. They saw something with the eye of faith, and they were driven by what they saw. Scripture reveals that while the first generation flunked out, the wilderness graduate school of promised land thinking finally grabbed hold of the second generation. They got it. And I think they looked at their parents dying in the wilderness and said, not me, buddy. Not me. I've learned from mom and dad's mistakes. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to eat those grapes. I'm going to live in that land. I'm going to go where God has called me to go, and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Notice they didn't cop out and say, well, because mom did it and dad did it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sit here and die too. No, they said, because they did it, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to walk in faith, and I'm going to take the land. The poisonous thinking of Egypt, which was defeated, helpless, and hopeless. That was the poisonous thinking of Egypt. I'm defeated, I'm helpless, and I'm hopeless. I'm defeated, can't do anything about my situation. I'm helpless, I can't help myself, and I'm hopeless. There is no help for me in God, there's no help for me in people. I might as well sit here and die. That was Egyptian thinking. Instead of that, they transitioned into promised land thinking. And they took the promised land by placing their trust in four things. And I'm going to give you what they placed their trust in. And I want you to say them with me. God's presence with them. God's provision for them. God's priest over them. And God's promises to them. They trusted in his presence, his provision, his priest, and his promises. His presence was there, his provision was there, his priest was there, and his promises were theirs. And they trusted in that. They transitioned. The first generation didn't trust his presence, didn't trust his provision, didn't trust Moses, his priest, Moses and Aaron, and didn't trust his promises. But the second generation made the switch. And they said, I'm going to trust his presence. It's always going to be with me. I'm going to trust his provision. He will not fail me. I'm going to trust his priest. God has set him up. And I'm going to trust his promises that cannot fail. All the promises of God are mine. Amen. And they trusted those four things. Now, ladies and gentlemen, our church is going to have to be doing some promised land thinking. 
And you know what we're going to have to trust? We're going to have to trust his presence is with us. His provision is ours. His priest, Jesus Christ, is over us. And his promises are ours through him. All the promises of God are yea and amen through Jesus Christ. We don't need to be doubting, complaining, murmuring, or any of that. Lest we die in the wilderness. No, no, no. It's time to be vision-driven and say, his presence is with me. His provision is mine. His priest is over me. And his promises are good. As I read the New Testament, I find Jesus Christ. It's really something. There's such a parallel. As I read the New Testament, I I find Jesus Christ teaching his disciples the same things, the same lessons, the same truths. God's presence, Jesus promised, would be with you and me. Jesus said, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. In another place, he said, and I'm going to pray the Father, and he will give you another helper or comforter that he may abide with you forever. That word another next to comforter means one besides me and in addition to me, but one just like me. Jesus said, I can only be in one place in one time, but when I go to heaven, I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be all over the world. Millions and millions are going to be my children, and he's going to be with every one of them. He's going to be called next to them. He's going to strengthen them in the midnight hour. He's going to comfort them in the time of pain. He's going to, he's going to lift them up when they're down. He's going to be the resurrection power of their life when they have been, they're down on the mat, and, and the devil is given the count, 10, 9, 8. He steps in. He fills you. He touches you. He sparks you. He stands you on your feet. I hate to interrupt you, devil, but I'm not down for the count. I've got a resurrector inside of me. It's the Holy Ghost. Jesus said another one, a different one, but he's just like me. You see, they had the cloud by day and the fire by night. If they had anxiety in the middle of the night, all they had to do was open up the tent flaps and look out, and there was that Holy Spirit like a fire shining in the night sky like a great torch, and they would be comforted. God is with me. In the daytime, walking in the heat, they'd look up and see the cloud. God is with me. But we've got a better covenant. We've got a better blood. We've got a better priest, and that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to look up. You don't have to look around. He is living inside of you, and he goes with you everywhere you go. He leads you and guides you, and he is the presence of God with you. And Jesus said, my presence, you can count on it. My presence is with you. And then Jesus said, God's going to provide for you, just like he tried to tell those people. God's going to provide for you. Four times in Matthew 6 alone, Jesus commands his followers not to be whipped by worry. He revealed himself as our miraculous provider in the story of the fishes and the loaves. Give me what you have and I'll multiply it. I will never leave you, never forsake you. I will always provide for you. Through Paul, Jesus told us, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God will provide for you. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. The birds of the air, Jesus said, don't work or spin their own clothing yet God feeds them. How much more are you, O ye of little faith? 
reading those words, I hearken back to those worry-whipped wilderness wanderers chewing their nails over whether God would provide. But the second generation didn't doubt it. They said, I know that not only is his presence with me, but his provision is with me. And that gives me the confidence to go forward in the will of God. Folks, I don't know what God's telling you to do individually. I know what I think he's telling us to do corporately. But whatever it is individually, you need the same thing. You got to know his presence is with you. His provision is with you. He's not going to fail you. He's not going to forsake you. He is with you. You know what? I want us to preach a little bit today. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to preach. He is with me. Ready? One, two, three. He is with me. Now I want you to preach to somebody. At the count of three, turn to someone and tell them the same thing. One, two, three. He is with you. Give the Lord a hand. You preach good. This second generation was bold. They said, his presence is with me. I don't doubt it. His provision is with me. I don't doubt it. And whereas the first generation did not trust Moses, complaining endlessly about and to him, the second generation implicitly trusted Joshua. And we must also learn to trust our priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that he is our anointed priest as shown in the transfiguration? You remember the day that he walked up on the mountain. He took Peter, Paul, and John with him. And they walked up there and they were alone. And suddenly, one of the mightiest miracles ever beheld. John talked about it in First John. Years, decades later, he still couldn't get it off of his mind, what he had seen. Because Jesus was standing there. And suddenly he began to glow white, shining white like the sun. They backed off. Peter, not knowing what to say, said, Lord, uh, shall we build a tabernacle? Because we see two others with you, Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. They stood with Jesus who capsulized both. He summarized both. He was the fulfillment of the law, and he was the fulfillment of the prophets. Standing there, and a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. What was God saying? You had Moses giving you the law. You had Elijah, the prophet. But I'm telling you now, you've got him. He is your priest. Moses is dead. Elijah is dead. They're in glory. But he is now your priest. Standing next to Moses who represented that law and Elijah the prophets. God was saying, they're gone. Now he's your priest. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Let him speak into your life. Let him be the one you look to. You no longer look to Moses for your salvation. You look to him. In other words, this is your anointed priest. In the New Testament, Jesus is the presence of God to us, the provision of God for us, and the priest of God over us. He is all of those things. And so the presence, 
the provision and the priest. They believed and all the, they put their trust in God on Joshua. And everything, it says everything Joshua told them to do, they did it. Unlike the first generation, constantly rebelling against the words of Moses. But now, not only do we have the presence, the provision, and the priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, but the promises that we are to believe abound. They abound. We've got so many promises in the Bible, and I'm just going to pull out one of my favorite verses, 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. In those verses, we are told of exceedingly great and precious promises. And that by the promises that are exceedingly great and precious, we receive two things. We partake of the divine nature, and we escape worldly corruption by the promises of God. We partake of the nature of God. Do you know that to become like Jesus is part of our New Testament promised land? To become like Jesus is part of our New Testament promised land? When you got saved, God had a promised land for you. It's not just heaven, but it is to become like Jesus, love like him, walk like him, talk like him, remind people of him, patient like him, merciful like him, powerful like him, influential like him, gracious like him, humble like him. We are to be like Jesus. That's our promised land. The, the promised land for the children of Israel is Jericho, Shechem, the Canaanite stronghold of Dan, and so on and so forth. That was their promised land. It was physical. But ours is primarily spiritual. Theirs was a place. Ours is a condition. Theirs was a city. Ours is a characteristic. The characteristic of Jesus Christ. Is anybody hearing me today? And as they walked in holding on to the presence and the promise and the provision, they took the promised land trusting in God. Promised land thinkers in the new covenant say, love is mine, joy is mine, peace is mine, long-suffering is mine, gentleness is mine, hey, faith is mine. I'm going to take the promised land because I believe his presence is with me. I believe his promises are mine. I believe the high priest over me is going to grace me to take that land so that I love like I've never loved before. I'm patient in rushing hour of traffic, which is when I claim the promises of God more than almost any other time in life. And I'm serious about this now. You see, we've got to understand that we have been called to take the land. What land? We are to be partakers of the divine nature. Does it matter to you? Wouldn't you rather be patient than the torment of impatience? Wouldn't you rather be fearless than fearful? Wouldn't you rather be full of faith than full of doubt? Wouldn't you rather have the characteristics of Jesus than the characteristics of the flesh? Isn't it easier on you and easier on life when we can walk like him and think like him and experience his goodness, his peace, his joy, overflowing his spirit flowing like a river into everlasting life. I'm talking about the promised land Jesus came to give you and me. <laughs> Peter named a few. He said, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. All these things are our promised land.
And Peter said, if you obtain these things, you will never stumble. Wow. Let me just make this real practical for you. So what do we have? We have the presence. We have the provision. We have the priest. And we have the promise. Make it real practical. You're in rush hour traffic. Somebody behind you is blowing their horn. The person next to you almost running you off the road. And in front of you, it's not moving. And you're wondering what the city fathers were thinking when they made a two-lane highway in the middle of a big city. Have you ever spoken to the city fathers? Just in your car? What were you thinking? And you have a choice to either be filled with anger, be filled with rage, or say, I'm called to take the promised land. And part of my promised land is patience and peace. And so, Lord, I believe that your provision is mine. I believe your presence is with me. By your grace, I can do anything through Christ Jesus. I believe my priest is in this car with me right now. And I believe the promises are good. So you breathe deep and you say, I receive patience and joy and peace. And you take the land. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, I know we, we, we like more talking about getting a bunch of money or a big house or a car, but I'm telling you, you take this promised land, and Jesus said, all the other stuff will be added to you as a side benefit. Amen, Pastor Jeff. I think I'm getting it, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. See, we can go down like the wilderness wanderers. We can complain, we can murmur, we can gripe, we can walk in unbelief. We can say, I don't trust my priest to provide for me. I don't trust his presence is with me. I'm nervous, I'm all shook up. I'm chewing my nails. I don't know what to do. The bills are due. My kids have gone nuts. I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And, and, and you can just, you can flake out and you can do what they did and complain yourself and murmur yourself into the ground. Paul said, we're to read about them and learn from them as the end of the world draws near. Or you can take the land, take the land, take the land. Amen. So can you say with me by confidence, I believe his presence is with me. He's provided for me. His priest is over me and his promises are given to me that I might partake of the divine nature. Amen. 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 You know, Kathy and I, um, every once in a while we'll sit down and we'll talk and we'll just go over things and we'll say, you know, look how far God has brought us. And I'm going to tell you something. Never would have happened without taking the promised land. We had to practice forgiveness. We had to practice mercy had to practice compassion, had to lay hold of what was beyond our natural ability. But by my priest and his promises and his presence and his provision of grace, we were able to walk into the promised land. Not that we've arrived and it's all, but, but hey, you take it city by city, virtue by virtue, day by day. Amen. I was saying yesterday we were watching TV and we were watching this show. I'm telling you, I thought I was going to die. I was laughing so hard. What was it called? It was bloopers. 
TV outrageous, most outrageous moments. And you know, they say that laughter is as good as running a mile. I ran 10 miles yesterday. I was choking. I was laughing so hard. All just one, and here we were in our living room. We could not get air. We could not. It, it was like I had to fall over. It's like I had to turn the TV off to save my life. It was so funny. And I was sitting there thinking, this is the way it's supposed to be. Instead of all worried and uptight about life and angry at circumstances, you learn that he came so we could take the land. And when you're confident in his presence and you know that his provision of grace is always going to be there and you know that your priest is with you and you know that his promises are for you you start taking it amen and we had a good old time in the living room laughing until we were sick I had to get up and walk out of the room oh <laughs> I mean really I thought I was gonna die so all right let's stand together can we isn't that true Kathy <laughs> All we could do is look at each other. You know, we couldn't even talk. It was like, don't choke and I won't choke. We'll try. But uh, it was good. You know, Jesus didn't come to take the fun out of life. He came to give us the right kind of fun. Amen? Amen? He did. Father, we just thank you for promised land thinking. We see that this second generation, Lord, transitioned from doubting you, murmuring and complaining to trusting your presence, your provision, your priest, and your promises. And that's all you ask us to do, Lord. That's all you ask us to do. Trust, obey, and believe. And if we'll do that, we'll walk in what your blood purchased for us. So, Lord, we ask you to do this today. Help us to use the faith you've given us. Now, if in any one of those four areas, as we begin to close out today, you've been slack in. Say, well, I've had a problem trusting his presence. I haven't sensed him. I've really worried about provision. I've wondered where my priest was. Or you've doubted some of the promises. Why don't you right now grab hold of your faith again and say, let God be true and every man a liar and begin to take hold of those promises again have a moment with God as Steve leads us amen just have a moment with God